because in the end, technology is, is one thing, but it's really about the people participating in, in that development lifecycle, because this is where you draw your ideas from and, and where you can truly transform your organization. Welcome to a brand new episode of our podcast, Human in AI, Mind Machines and the Gradient Descent. Thank you for tuning in and joining us on this thrilling adventure as we explore the fascinating field of AI and machine learning. We'll be delving into the craziness of the corporate world, igniting our passion for technology and examining the crucial role of humans in it all. We are Uli and Abri, your hosts for this episode. Please brace yourself as we unveil our genius mind. Tim Srock, CEO of Mendix, the global leader in low-code for the enterprise. Tim is revolutionizing the application building process for the digital enterprise. Under his leadership, Mendix ensures agility, top-notch solutions, and customer centricity, all in line with his personal mantra, new day, same mission. Get ready to be inspired by Tim as we learn more about him and what's behind the massive success of Mendix. Tim, it's fantastic to have you on the show. And since it's such a cold winter day, let's start off with something to break the ice. So what is it that actually gets you through the cold winter time? Yeah, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, I would actually say with the increasing tenure at Mendix, my hair gets thinner and thinner, so I need a beanie don't, for my don't head. Don't see that. Don't see that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, I can see it every day when I look in the mirror. <laughs> uh, so I think beanie is, is, is definitely so for my head. And then a good glue line, I think, in the winter times is, is, is great. And I'm actually, it's my last working day today, and then I'm going skiing. So skiing and hiking in the winter is, is something which really clears my mind where I draw energy from. Um, so really looking forward to to next week and, and yeah, get going on, this, on the slopes. Skiing or snowboarding? What is skiing. that? Skiing. There you go. Telemark? No? Old score? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I guess then we hope this podcast already serves as a great start to your long-awaited adventure in the mountains. And since we've already learned a little bit about your passion off work, we are also keen to learn more about your passion at work. So where does your passion for low-code actually come from? And how did you become CEO of Mendix? Can you guide us a little bit through? Yeah, no, I think great question. So my career actually started with Siemens uh, back in 2014. Uh, it was a crazy ride so far. Um, so started in the, in the finance excellence program, actually. So uh, one of the excellence programs within Siemens. And the goal actually was to become a CFO uh, at the time. So I, I did basically a two-year program, three assignments. And early on, I focused on, on digital industries and in particular software. I truly felt like that software can transform how business models, especially now from a finance perspective, would change and, and evolve, but also how businesses operate. And if you think about digital industry software, it's really about building a digital enterprise, right? And, and, and combining the strength of the engineering domain um, but also the design domain and um, and so and bringing this together, which then is also very important if you think about this convergence of, of physical and, and digital. And so that kind of sparked an interest in me and, and how this is actually evolving Siemens, Siemens as a company. So I focused early on, on software. Um, and then I had a short stint um, also as part of the FVP in, in corporate finance here, here in Munich. FFP uh, is the finance excellence program. Yeah. Um, and then um, basically after that short stint here, I, I rejoined software in, back in the US in, in 2017 uh, in, in a global finance function where I got heavily involved in, in the M&A process. And, and that also was something very interesting if you look at how Siemens has built their, their software portfolio very much through inorganic. Um, and a couple of acquisitions I was involved in, and one of them was basically Mendix. Um, I have a bit of a feeling that I'm actually the reason why people retire. So when I actually moved to Plano, my predecessor retired. Um, actually, the same happened in the, in the Mendix job. So 
that the CFO at the time actually uh, also decided re to retire and, and so that opened up the opportunity to actually join Mendix right after the acquisition, which was a cool opportunity for me because that allowed me actually to work with the founders of Mendix. So all three uh, co-founders were still on board and it was obviously a very inspiring, inspiring time working um, with the co-founders and, and one of them was Derek Rose at the time who was the CEO. Um, and again, he, he left the company then uh, uh, three years in. Um, I hope he doesn't retire. So Derek, if you listen, I hope there is still something in you uh, when, when you're going to disrupt uh, the world. But yeah, I think it was really about learning from him uh, and, and from the team and, and scaling this organization. So from when I joined and then took on the, the CEO role, we basically scaled the organization from around 350 people uh, to now more than 1500. So in, in three and a half years. So that's like I said, crazy ride. Um, and you break a lot of things <laughs> along the way. Um, so, but it also allowed me to get involved in, in very strategic topics, which ultimately then led to the opportunity to take on Mendix as the CEO. Um, basically now, yeah, it's, it's basically the first anniversary as, as the CEO. And, and I really enjoyed that first year. I think, uh, being, or heading such a very passionate organization, very, um, innovative, innovative organizations is obviously something which is, which is close to my heart because I like to be curious. I like to learn new things and I like to. Uh, build stuff and, and make stuff so that that's why I think the environment is perfect but also I mean the interaction I now have as part of the CEO role connecting with customers connecting with partners that the larger ecosystem um, just came back from reInvent uh, two weeks ago yeah I think it's something really really rewarding and yeah uh, I just love my job and, and I'm really passionate about uh, showing up every day. Yeah, one can truly say that if you if you uh, if you experience if you have the experience, right? Uh, seeing seeing you talking about it, right? But maybe if we if shift back, so um, what is what is that uh, all about? About you know, can you explain a bit the main offering? What is low code actually about? Uh, you know, the main aspects. What is Mendix doing in this in this game, right? Um, for um, I think there's uh, some data about, you know, from Forbes, they call it no-code, low-code, the most disruptive trend of 2021. Gardner says, like, you know, 65% of application will be low-code, right? Is is that, do you see, obviously, you, 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 it's a bit of a bat, right? But it's, do you agree with these kinds of stats that uh, low-code is, uh, you know, revolutionizing somehow the digital space? I think it's definitely revolutionizing. And then I think Siemens is a perfect example of that. I mean, you chatted earlier a bit. Um, we have now more than 600 applications uh, within Siemens, which I think shows the potential that that's kind of a 24-month journey. Um, but also the end users, we reach more than 250,000 end users. So it shows, I, I think, the possibilities. And that's obviously not the only account uh, we have. So if, if you think about local application development platforms, um, so we are the innovation leader in that space. You, you, you were quoting Gartner. So there's the, the, the Gartner MQ, so Magic Quadrant for, for local application platforms, where we are the leader now for the fourth year in a row. Um, so which is very important to us as we also try to obviously draw our attention uh, from the outside as, as people are evaluating. And we are just one of the two pure play local vendors in, in, in that game. So there are really just two pure play local. There are a lot of local no local tools out there, but there are only two true pure um, local vendors uh, out there. And our purpose is really about enabling organizations to build better software. It's really about better software, but also faster. So this is really in, in our core DNA. And how does that actually happen? I think it's one through the abstraction of, of, of code, right? Of, of long form code through the, the notion of a visual a visualization or visual um, aspect and, and modeling. And then it's really about that collaborative um, aspect of the platform, because in the end, Technology is, is one thing, but it's really about the people participating in, in that development lifecycle, because this is where you draw your ideas from and, and where you can truly transform um, your organization. So from its inception, Mendix was always about kind of getting, blurring the lines, if you will, between business and IT and bringing those two together to build that software right from the start in the, the right solution, if, if you will. So. Like I said, this is the core DNA uh, for us. And, and so with that, by now, we were actually hel helping more than 4,000 companies to actually go on that journey and uh, digitally disrupt with us um, together. And, and I think, again, one thing I want to highlight, it's really about bringing all these personas together in that life cycle. So it's not just about developer 
It's also about these business experts. It's about UI or designers, right? You bring in and, and, and process experts. And if you achieve that, then is this is when you truly transform your company and when you tap basically into the entire resource pool you have available in, in your organization. And yeah, but I feel like we shouldn't just stop at this notion of, of enabling organization. For us, it's also close to our heart to enable people. So making career changes, becoming change agents in, in their organization. And it's also about the society because what you see is that digitization is actually widening the gap even more in society um, because people have less access right, um, to, to software or to um, laptops or PCs, if, if, if you want. And, and so we need to think about how do we close that gap as well. And I truly believe that through low code, um, we can do that because, again, we basically increase the pool of resources who can help um, so, solve the dearest problems um, in the world. What a beautiful notion. And what just stood out to me the most is the universal, inclusive nature of low code as it makes software development so approachable and accessible to a vast number of people. And this basically already touches upon the vast impact Mendix can have out there, right? And I guess as the CEO, you must be deeply committed about ensuring also a big impact tomorrow and in the future. So maybe can you share a little bit about where you see Mendix in the short term But also, and I'm very curious about this one, what is your moonshot vision in the long term? Yeah, I think there are really two things. I think one is about composability, and I'll touch on that in a minute. But composability becomes more and more important, especially if you consider the environment we're in. Um, I think we're in a phase where disruptive trends and, and, and kind of outside impacts were never that uh, were never in that high sequence, right? If, if you think about it, usually, okay, we had a dot um, or the, the internet crisis, right? And financial crisis, but now I think we had COVID, energy crisis, war, geopolitical tension, all these things are, are coming together and then creating that perfect storm. So I think for companies, it's extremely important to be adaptable. Um, so I'll touch that on that in a second. And then I think the other aspect, like I said, I mean, you have to think about in, in, in a environment where there's war for talent, you see spiking attrition rates, you need to think about, okay, how do you create an environment where people love to contribute, where you can keep them around, but where you also exploit the entire potential you have in, in your organization. Um, and, and so if I talk about uh, composability, this is really to develop a mindset, how you can adapt your um, company even quicker to, to these um, disruptive, uh, disruptive trends. And, and what we see is actually with, with COVID, I think companies had to reimagine completely how they operate, right? They had to change the way they operate and how they work uh, so within the company, but also creating digital experiences to interact with, either with their suppliers and, and, and customers. And, and so we see composability kind of as the next abstract abstraction layer. So it started obviously with code and, and build, basically providing building blocks um, to, to develop. But we see one aspect of that going even one step further where you think about Gartner calls it package business capabilities, where you think maybe a, a business process and package that process could be, I don't know, viewing a 3D visualization of, of a turbine and using that as a package business capability and then consume it in an application. A, that again, enriches kind of the, the number of users you can reach with your solution because now maybe a procurement person can actually access, access that. But it also increases the level of um, repeatability in your organization because a certain component might be used in different factories or for different solutions. And so that's kind of the next abstraction layer uh, we see in, in low code. And, and that's something we, we really strengthen. And the other element um, we see is that monolithic SaaS applications are actually more and more challenged. Um, we, we think there's a concept of adaptive solutions. So where you basically have a certain problem, you, you basically develop a solution, but you have the ability to either integrate with a, with a certain system much, much easier. And, and depending on the environment, your, your system landscape might be different. So you need to think about adaptability or you have a solution in your supply chain where you have to adapt to a certain supplier um, environment much, much easier. And, and so the adaptability becomes more and more important 
um, especially as we, we discussed uh, the disruptive changes uh, you're facing. So you, you need to think about that that much more um, going forward. And, and so for that, we actually launched what we call an ISV program. So we actually not just help companies to build the composable enterprise, but we also help software companies to build kind of commercial solutions, adaptive solutions, and then go after a certain vertical or after a certain problem. And for that, we actually acquired a company uh, more than a year ago now, um, which helps those, those uh, companies to actually think about the right architecture, the right quality, and the right technical foundation, if you will, to, beat, uh, to build these, these solutions. So we have a very ecosystem-first approach in, in, in solving these problems. And in return, that obviously also contributes to the Mendix flywheel because more solutions means usually that we are stickier with our customers. Yeah, awesome. Pretty, pretty dope. I, the first time I, I went into Mendix, get a hand on Mendix was, I don't know, during the pandemic, actually, where I saw that um, in the factory in Amberg, um, people, workers actually built their own um, shift plan, basically, yeah. who is in, who is out, right? And you want to push these kinds of empowering of using data-driven analytics somehow insights in, in a very tangible manner in this case, right? Um, as, as close to the people and close to the process as, as much as possible. And that's like, that's, that's, that seems to be already credibility. If, you know, if everybody somehow democratizes, right? in saying like, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about how to digitize my thoughts, my domain or how my sometimes process or my Excel sheet somehow, right? In terms of shift planning. I thought it's quite nice hitting in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, these yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think that that's the second aspect, right? The people aspect I was touching on. I mean, that the collaborative aspect is, is, is one, obviously that business and IT can work together. So that exactly what you said, tapping into that domain expertise, mm -hmm. uh, actually of the factory workers, but also then doing that side by side with IT, not that IT goes off and comes back in six months and tells you, okay, that's the solution. But no, you're actually part of Sprint with Use, right you're actually the product owner or you can give feedback in, in the application you can quickly ideate on, on, on the problem I think that's the power but what we especially also see in the, in the environment um, or in the manufacturing environment that actually engineers pick up Mendix quite easily because of the visual modeling that, that that's very close to how they think and how they operate and and so we see a lot of companies picking that up and, and solving problems within weeks um, because they have the, the right approach and that, that's really something we want to strengthen i think if you look at democratization i think low code is one right you have self-service bi we see it more and more also in uh, in the analytics space basically where uh, you, you see more and more democratization but i think there's a true pivotal transformation happening uh, within the enterprise and and this is really where you need to bring together kind of you, the people in your organization, so business and IT, but all the experts you have. And, and that's something we are heavily investing in from a, from a Mendix perspective. So how do you build a community in your, in your organization, right? How do you foster collaboration? How do you also end up with a, with a portfolio in the end right, of applications you can go after? Mm -hmm. Value today is definitely consumed through the form of, of an application, but how do you get to that portfolio, right? How do you tap into that? And, and what we see working well is, like a form of a hackathon. So we do that much more often with customers. We even see customers now posting on LinkedIn how, yeah, how excited they are to see ideas kind of turning into a solution fairly quickly. And then I think that that's the power. And then from there, you again can involve kind of um, pro developers who help you then take it really to, to a scalable level. But I think that initial ideation and the initial um, concept phase to get it to kind of a starting point is, is, is important. And then uh, IT can definitely help to structure and scale those solutions like we see at Siemens. You touched already a bit on analytics and, and aspects. Let's, we are a bit of a geeky AI podcast, right? So uh, obviously, you know, as... Um, Software is the world, low code uh, dominates the software, and AI eats the world anyway, and is somehow included in, in bits and pieces and everywhere. What role does AI in machine learning 
play in the in the context of low code and or Mendix? You know, are there any aspects that you can share about projects or features? Do you have few on on the role of machine learning in low code? Yeah. So I, I think a couple of uh, things. I mean, in the end, I think with every technology, the question is how how can you consume it, right? And and I think again, low code is a means to also um, um, basically consume uh, the power of AI. But maybe if if you look at Mendix per se, like how we use AI, I mean, we also use it as part of our product offering. We have something um, since actually 2021. We have um, AI. Um, assist or Mendix, we call it Mendix Assist in, in our platform, mm -hmm. and this is really a family of bots, as we as we call it. So, as a, we have a logic bot, we have a page bot, and a performance bot. And what it really does, it helps the developers in in, in our de um, development environment to do multiple things. Um, it makes suggestions on how you design your your page, right? It, it improves the performance of your application automatically. Um, and it also improves the logic in, in terms of your, your, um, how you write code or, or how you build your application in, in the end. And I, we want to take it even further that it makes kind of suggestion on what if you, I talked about composability, right? So mm -hmm. you could imagine that basically there's a recommendation that you should use that or this component actually to, to speed up your development lifecycle. So it's, it's a lot about productivity. Uh, but it's also in the end about security to make sure you have the right architecture um, in, in place um, so that actually in the end, both quality, uh, uh, you have the right quality, but also you're, um, you can scale on, on the quantity side because you basically abstract, abstract uh, even further. I think that that's really about technology like local, but even AI does, it helps you to abstract further so that you can focus on, on the value adding, um, value adding tasks. So I think that that's where we are at today, but there's also something kind of um, in the works. You, you were talking about machine learning. We're actually uh, close to a GA uh, of our machine learning uh, toolkit. Um, we'll, we'll come in, in early 2023. And um, that's the first feature in the platform dedicated actually to building the next generation of applications. So really making it smarter, uh, if, you, if you will. And it allows um, developers or you to incorporate actually machine learning algorithms in, into local ap applications with actually uh, without calling an external API. So you can basically use it with, within the application. Um, and we hope that similar to, to AI, actually, that helps um, developers to build smarter applications, um, if you will. Um, yeah. So that means, um, so it's the, the current use of machine learning in Mendix is, is on the one side focused on recommendation, a bit of a companion, how you to build code recommendation or uh, composability recommendation, right? On the other side, you are um, releasing to be soon, I guess then, right? Some kinds of that own machine learning models can be built and um, helping data science scientists to, to build um, first application right. using AI? Yeah. yeah. Kind of interesting. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so uh, to, uh, hopefully uh, you can check it out. <laughs> I think that, that that's something, um, again, it's it's about, in the end, building different kind of apps. Um, I, I think we said both. I think the democratization of um, on, on the people side led to building basically more diverse and inclusive apps, right? Because other people are participating in, in, in the in the application development lifecycle, but this also enables us to build um, smarter applications, uh, if you will. And, and, and again, that should then propel actually the usage of, of AI and, and machine learning, if you will. Um, but it also makes um, apps more intelligent because now we have actionable insights, right? Um, it's also more proactive because you could basically use predictive uh, algorithms to trigger certain workflows or actions, right? Um, and it's more contextual because you can personalize um, actually those applications, um, uh, if you will. And then um, inside our organizations, so not product, uh, we use also different tools um, for sales forecasting. So basically where you analyze call scripts, where you analyze, okay, how many meetings you had. And, and, and we have uh, certain parameters where we say, okay, this is actually, where you think this is, this is um, these are key criteria Kind of closing an account and and then basically that that's this is being analyzed and then there's a prediction um, score in, in terms of how likely it is that this uh, deal gets closed and then i think it helped us in in many ways a to become more precise and in, in forecasting which, uh, with my previous background is obviously something uh, very interesting but it also allowed us to be much more 
um, diligent and, and, and deliberate about following up with certain accounts. If, if we saw that scores are dropping, uh, we actually had the ability now to engage much more. That could mean, okay, we got an executive in or we, we were scheduling a reference call. So I think it's, it's never about replacing a human, but it's helping to make the human more effective in, in the way you operate. And I think that that is always something we, we have to have in mind. I mean, there are a lot of notions out there that low code, but also AI is, is, is disrupting right, the workplace. But I think it actually helps you to, in the end, operate much more effectively uh, and, and smart. And, and it should lead actually to a higher value work you, you, you can focus on. But do you think that we will need, or is it even possible to say that we will need, for instance, more developers in the future or that they will need a different skill set so they can help with the more complex tasks? Or do you foresee a development where everyone can build software applications because now we have platforms like Mandix out there? Yeah, so I think this every, everyone can become a developer. I don't think this is necessarily what we should strive for. I mean, there are a lot of no-code tools out there, right? But, but I still think that will, at some point, create its own legacy, right? Its own technical debt. And and I think what, what we believe in from a Mendix perspective is this combination of what we call speed, um, control, and, and collaboration. So what do I mean by that? I think speed is really bad. Okay, through that abstraction layer, we definitely make it faster. But that doesn't mean that everyone should should code right or uh, should become now an application developer i think what the power is actually then in that collaboration aspect that that you have maybe you can start ideating with, with a business user on on the problem and then to truly get it to scale right it should not only be a point solution ideally it integrates into your existing architecture and it makes you smarter as an organization and, and more scalable as an organization so i still think there will always be pro developers or pro users of, of low code um, platforms who, who need to basically do the last mile, but it's really about the last mile when, when you were describing the high, higher value work, really perfecting it, if, if, if you will, right? So, and then the control aspect, I think is, is super important. I mean, especially if you think about building applications um, in, in industries like life science or so, but there's a high regulatory aspect to it. You want to make sure that there's a certain governance around these applications, but there's also certain scalability involved because you, you need to make sure there's an audit trail as you, as you perform certain workflows. Mm -hmm. And so from that perspective, that governance um, piece becomes increasingly more important. And then, like I said, the collaboration should be a, a result out of that because then business and IT truly come together. Uh, it goes a bit in the direction we, we asked a, a famous uh, GPT uh, machine learning system open from released from OpenAI, ChatGPT, right? GPT 3.5 about, you know, what question we should ask you, right? And it came with, with a nice one, which maybe fits now in there. Can you share any insights or predictions about the future of AI and how it will impact the development of low code? Will AI be the next Excel? It's a it's an interesting question. I think in general, I think if you look at Chat GPT, it's a. I mean, if you look at the the number of users mm -hmm. it, it was able to accumulate, I think it's 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 truly fantastic, right? That there were some comparison how long it took Netflix mm -hmm. to acquire this level of users, and 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 I mean the short time it shows like that. I think everything is shifting to digital, right? And and obviously through that it becomes even smarter because of, obviously a lot of people are using it, but it. Also, I mean, I, I try, wanted to try it actually the other day and then said like, okay, it's kind of reaching a capacity limit, so you should <laughs> uh, join later. But um, I think if I look at AI, um, I think like it, it should be, it should actually converge, meaning AI should be an embedded technology in, in, in local platforms, right? So A, to make those local platforms more effective and and um, and, and, and improve it from that perspective, but it should also help us to build smaller applications in the end. Um, one of the examples um, I, can, I can reference is, for instance, Zurich. Uh, it's a, one of our largest insurance customers at Mendix, and they built an eye face recognition app. And what the application actually does, so it, it was meant to actually find net new customers for Zurich, right? They, they were concerned, they, were, they didn't really perform, if you will, in, in the younger segment. And, and so they were thinking about, okay, how can they acquire a new customer segment or how can they get access? And, and again, 
Um, if you look at B2C, I think the way you're interacting today is through, through the means of an application. And, and they basically wanted to do the same in, in, in the business context. It's still B2C because obviously they were selling insurance to um, end users, if you will, or uh, citizens. Mm -hmm. um, but um, they actually basically uh, used a um, Manix application that where you take a picture and then based on an algorithm that analyzes kind of the age age group and, and that it did a risk classification. And then you could basically sign an entire uh, insurance policy uh, through the means of an application. And I think this is really what it's about, right? Building smaller applications um, and with that actually reaching maybe also certain aspects you were never able to do uh, before. Um, and then I think then there's still basically human interaction needed, mm -hmm. both on the development side as well as on the end user side. But I think it truly shows how the adoption could could be fueled, uh, if you will. And, and I think that's that's true for technologies like AI. I think it's equally true for for IoT, right? And, and uh, if you think about these use cases, um, and then I think that we, this is where we can help. Uh, speaking of help, right, um, one could see that the accessibility of app development and capabilities sh shaping and defining but also initiating thing has also a role on job satisfactory there is a microsoft study that says 82 percent of low code users agree that the technology helps gives them software users to chance advance the technical expertise blah 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 and to um it has a 83% good influence of job satisfactory and 80% positive impact on users morality that comes with a price, to be frankly for me. I, I didn't relate like, you know, people are more even, you know, measurable on this kind of scale, 80%, you know, this is, this is significant, right? I'm more happy when they can <laughs> do doing the use of low code. Is that a, a, a fake stats or what, what's your feeling, right? Are, are your employees the most happiest employees in the world or do you see the customers the most happiest yeah. customers in the world? I, I, I don't... <laughs> I don't know if the stat, right, if the 80% yeah. is now fully accurate, but I, I can share, I mean, I was uh, basically explaining that the most rewarding part of the job is actually getting the feedback, right, from, from users or customers. Mm -hmm. I actually was um, probably now four weeks, five weeks ago here at a customer in, in, in Munich, um, and it was quite interesting. So they are signed basically with us maybe six months ago, mm -hmm. um, and I was meeting two IT um, people like um, basically responsible for executing the implementation of, of, of mandates. And um, so the lady I talked to, she basically said, so she was IT and, and running a program and, and she was sharing a feedback she got from the, from a user um, saying that I, they were never um, imagined that, that, that basically IT can be that innovative in, in, in their company, but through the means of low code and actually getting into this iterative phase and, and showing results fairly quickly, they were actually able to innovate with, with, from within the IT function. And she was just happy. She was smiling and she was just proud. Well, the statement you could say had a basically a set connotation, right? But that in the past, maybe it wasn't the case. She was actually quite happy that she's in the position right to deliver now. And the other um, IT manager said that he feels like that's the first time they are acting actually faster than the business. And, and I think if you think about this constant demand, that was the other question you, you, you asked, right? Well, there, um, I think there will be ever more uh, developers needed simply because the demand is, is increasing exponentially. But him making that statement, I think, is, is, is quite rewarding. And I think that, that is contributing to their job satisfaction. So I think on the IT side, it's, it's truly to become an enabler for business versus business prevention. I think that that's the satisfaction IT has. I think from a business perspective, actually being able through the collaborative aspect to, to engage, right? And, and basically have their business expertise getting uh, kind of ingrained in these applications, I think leads to satisfaction there as well, especially because of the, the speed, um, getting those to-do's results quickly where they maybe in the past had to wait 12 months. Mm -hmm. So they all of a sudden have the ability to innovate and, and disrupt or differentiate with the offering. And then I think there's another aspect, I mean, with with the rise of, of SaaS application, I think what also happened, there's a variety of user interfaces. And if you think about the, the normal business user, I think that it's quite overwhelming. I mean, I, sometimes I have it probably myself. I don't know how many applications I need to use to approve certain workflows. Mm. 
And if you now all of a sudden can actually consolidate all your workflows in, in one application because simply of the integration capabilities local offers, I think it's also streamlining the way you operate as a business, which in the end leads to user satisfaction because you actually know exactly where you need to go, how a workflow is being executed and, 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 and also providing transparency what happens, right? Because you can actually show what is happening within the process in a visual way again. And that kind of uh, leads also to trust and, and, and kind of also predictability, which ultimately, um, in my opinion, leads to user satisfaction. Mm -hmm. So what's that like? You should hire um, highly innovative but lazy people who are there to automate their own jobs as soon as possible because that that fuels some innovation. I'm not sure if this <laughs> this this hits the whale on the code, except for the lazy part, right? Yeah. Uh, but I I truly think that it uh, I think it encourages people to to truly participate because they see a way. And I think this is always important for I think creating engagement for me is also always about transparency and working on innovative stuff, right? Um, I think at least for me, that, that is what keeps me going. And I think that that's true for so many in the workplace. Um, and especially that shift now that this is possible, where maybe people had 20, 30 years career, right? Type of careers. And and now this is possible. I think that that's also a booster for, for a lot of them. The, the story I shared, I think that was the case. She was 30 years with the company and all of a sudden, yay it's it's possible right um that that's the magic yeah there is so much to that i'm actually a little amazed right now like i imagine a lot of people that have been in a certain position for so long and then you have those ideas i mean you're the domain expert you know everything about that field but maybe you're like limited because you're lacking the technical expertise the technical know-how And then you have to rely on others, on the IT department, or you have to hire an expensive external company um, so they can turn your idea and your vision into reality. And I feel like with low-code platforms, on the other hand, it really enables you to have a, a real impact and to make a change. And next to that, I, I also really liked what you said about lifelong learning so that those employees do not only advance in their day-to-day -day business, they also stay so competitive in the market. And that's what I liked a lot about what you just said. Yeah, and then I think the other aspect, I mean, if, if you look at it, it's, so it's what happens within the company. But I mean, we also run, um, or someone in, in our community was running ChatGPT through uh, question what is Mendix about and, and, and what is, are the strengths of Mendix? And, and one of the answers was actually uh, it's the community because you're tapping into this large um, community where you have uh, users and, and developers who can actually, who are experts, right? And, and it's a huge knowledge uh, pool you can tap into. And, and through gamification, we also found a way obviously to drive interaction in, in that community. And it's really self-sustaining now. And, and I think that's the other element. Right? You're not just your company you get actually access to a large community could be our partners but could also be the the developer community and i think that that's the other part and and that's also what i see within siemens actually happening that we have that local community right? it's again self-founding in, in, in a sense but i think what th this makes a difference also today in technology adoption i think uh, this community aspect um, which allows us also again to become composable because if they start to share in, in, in their community that, again, uh, uh, starts the flywheel or uh, keeps the flywheel spinning, if, if you will. And, and I think the community is, is really a large part of why um, new technologies such as low-code can, can be successful. You just mentioned community and the community also plays a big role in our podcast. And this is why we reached out to the people out there listening to this um, podcast and collected some questions for the episode. And earlier, Uli already posed the chat GPT question, but we also want to bring one up from a real person, from Tilo. Tilo, thanks a lot for engaging and sending us your question. 
And he asked, what is your view on the industrial metaverse and which role will low-code and citizen AI play there? Yeah, I think it's it's similar to what we discussed. Like, um, I think it's it's about technology adoption, right? And industrial metaverse, again, is this huge, big thing. And, and I think it's hard actually for people to imagine what you can do, right? How you get started. And I think low-code could be a means, again, to, to ideate. On, on use cases in, in the industrial metaverse. If you think about it, again, it's about combining physical and, and virtual um, or digital, right, world um, for one. Um, so the, the convergence of IT and OT play a big role there. But then again, you have to think about use cases to make it practical, to make it tangible for, for people buying into that concept. So, and I again think that local could be a means through how you consume that technology, because in the end, it's not just about kind of um, com combining digital and, and, and physical, it's also about how humans interact with that technology, right? It's, it's about, okay, how do we make virtual reality basically consumable? So how can humans interact, right, communicate, but also control um, certain aspects? And I think, again, through the means of local, that is one way how you could adopt um, and, and, and foster basically that industrial metaverse. Um, and, and I see a lot of, customers uh, and companies kind of having this big vision. I, we had the, the notion of industri industrial clouds and, and all these aspects, but I think it always starts with the use case. And then you can think about how you, how you basically um, scale that use case. You're going into structure and scale phase, as, as we call it. And where you, we have multiple use cases then, and then maybe it, it culminates in, into a solution. And I think this is, again, what Locode could offer um, and, and it could be one of the interface how you consume the value um, of, of the industrial metaverse because in the end it's about industrial applications mm -hmm. and making it available for, for humans. Um, that could be right a service engineer who needs to service um, a plant or uh, a turbine. And then again, through the means so that you, you can actually do it um, yeah, basically in real time. Um, but also about the feedback loop, right? It's, it's about consuming it, but you also want to make it smarter in, in the sense. So I think you can also have the human feedback loop so that the human then can say, okay, it's, it's a completely different scenario than I expected or, or what have you. Yeah. Time of time is flying actually, yeah. but uh, we don't want to leave you, right? Because uh, without asking a bit about your experience and maybe your reflections, your your path within Siemens and then to a, a acquisition, but also to an, a great company, which scaled pretty hard <laughs> in terms of, you know, value creation, but also in terms of people. That means you have quite some collected in a very compressed manner, quite some experience, what actually means business and what means leadership as well, maybe also, right? Are there any advice things you would give young folks out there as a recommendation you know who, who are stoked about crazy ideas and you know making a difference in the world is there some lessons learned you want to share uh, definitely i i feel felt like it, it was always about curiosity right i think if you're not curious about something i think that actually prevents you to learn something because no matter what great idea you have i think throughout the process there will be so many learnings in order to truly perfect it, right, find that product market fit or whatever you are after, I think you need to continuously be curious. If, if, I think if you lose that, it, it's going to be very hard, I think, to be successful. Um, and, and I also think that curiosity leads to passion. I, I think uh, you need to be passionate about something um, as well because you need to convince others of your idea, right? And, and you need to kind of um, impact them in, in a way so that they either join you, support you, or, or what have you, right? I think that that's that's one. And I think the second thing is you need to be willing to be in uncomfortable situations. Uh, sounds sounds maybe strange, but I feel like the most challenging environments I was in, the actually the most I learned. And I think going through this uh, notion of being uncomfortable and maybe also sometimes sacrificing something is extremely important to, to succeed. Um, and, and I think that You see that in so many um, areas where, where this is actually true, um, where people actually went through a difficult phase, but actually the constant feedback helped them to actually perfect their idea and, and, and then ultimately 
ultimately be successful. So I think this is what I would kind of give it as, as an advice, be curious, but also go through this phase of uncertainty, maybe uncomfortable, being uncomfortable. Uh, and uh, at the end of the, the tunnel, if you will, um, it, it will be truly rewarding if, if, if you do that. And you're actually proud of yourself at the end because you achieved something. Um, so that would be my advice. Um, Tim, thanks so much. It's been a real pleasure. I'm I'm so hooked. I'm a real Mendix fan after this conversation with, with you today. And what stuck with me in particular was that ecosystem, community aspect, the democratization and what you mentioned about making apps smarter, which can also largely boost the user experience and satisfaction in the end. Um, also, what you mentioned about starting with a user, I think this this is so cool. Maybe if, if I if I am allowed, I would like actually to add on on the community aspect because there's something very very close to my heart. I mean, I was alluding to the fact that as Mendix, obviously, we want to have an impact on organizations. Mm -hmm. So we we just had our annual kickoff uh, with, with kind of the Mendix organization, and and we launched kind of a framework which extends that organizational aspect. To people and society, and, and, and I want to explain that quickly before before we wrap up because I, I think this is very very important. So I, if I talk about people, it, it's really about kind of what I said, giving people a new chance, maybe uh, a new career, right, or making them a change agent in their organization. And we even have organizations who build their entire business on the Mendix platform, so our partners, for instance, who basically yeah bet their life, if you will, and then and, and build a career on, on the Mendix platform. So being much more deliberate about how we impact people uh, and their lives is, is, is one, and that extends then into society. So I was alluding to the fact that, okay, digitization drives an even bigger wedge in, in, into, in, into the society in terms of the gap, right? And, and we really think that there's the opportunity to drive equal opportunities for everyone. Um, and I just want to give you a couple of examples to highlight that. So one of the organizations we work with in the Netherlands uh, is called Motor. And Motor basically engages with uh, municipalities in, in the Netherlands and, and then tries to identify newcomers, so basically um, uh, status holders, uh, if you will, uh, who are victims of war, um, so refugees, right, if you will, and, and gives them the opportunity to change their to track a career to trajectory they are on um, by basically making them uh, Mendix local professionals. And, and they are quite successful. They, they almost had 100 placements now where they basically um, train um, refugees on, uh, or status holders uh, on, on Mendix. And then after a 12-month period with kind of an internship type of activity, they actually place those um, candidates then at one of our customers or partners. And very large organizations um, like Rabobank in the Netherlands or PV PVH, which is um, kind of um, uh, organization, so that, which is um, kind of the holding for brands like uh, Tommy Hilfiger and Calvin Klein and, and, and these type of activities. So that's that's really cool to see. And, and it, this is changing basically the lives of, of, of people, right? And then the other element we were talking about community. So we actually had um, for the first time now what we call Local for Good, which was a Mendix hackathon where we brought the community actually across the globe together to work on three, three projects. So APEC, EMEA, and, um, and, and the US. So we had Project Alianza in the, in the US. We had um, new service, um, new Hope Service community in, in, in uh, Singapore. Um, and the Welcome app, which again was about how people with, uh, who are refugees are actually being integrated into society in the Netherlands. And we basically had 1,500 people participating. So the entire Mendix community in, in basically uh, helping uh, those um, nonprofit organizations to, to actually disrupt through digital solutions. And, and I think that shows the power, right? It's actually... There was no part, uh, there was no commercial transaction involved. It was just the power of the community, bringing people together. And then within a 48 hour time frame, actually working on these solutions and ideate on, 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 on this problem statement. And it's truly amazing what, what kind of came out of that. Um, and, and then I think what also kind of, at least in my opinion, uh, shows the power of the Manic community. We had partners picking this up now to really make it a per, production ready solution so that these organizations can also truly benefit from it. it's not just an idea it's actually going into execution phase now as well and 
there will be more we're going to share about this uh, in, in the near future. But that's really dear to my heart, and it shows what can be done in society as well if, if you put the right minds to it and, and bring truly the, the community together. What a beautiful ending to this episode today. Thanks so much for sharing. Not yet, not yeah. yet. Right? Let's start off from the beginning, right? Now, but Tim, it's been a real pleasure to have you. And before we let you go to your well-deserved winter vacation, we want to play our finishing game, Authentic Autocomplete, with you. Let me give you a couple of sentence starters for the closing, and I would ask you to complete them. Tim, are you ready for the final challenge? Of course. Of course. So um, I'd suggest we start off with an easy one. So Mendix is? It's the way how you can uh, disrupt your existing landscape. Low code in 2030 will be? The de facto standard how organizations build collaboratively software. Agree. Technology with purpose is? Yeah, it's really about thinking beyond short-term profit and the societal impact you had. I mean, I was just sharing that story. I think having that front and center is so important. Beautiful. Having a growth mindset is? Uh, an essential part of being a leader. And last but not least, if I could invent one rule for everyone in the world to follow, it would be? Embrace peace. Tim, thanks so much for your time. I really enjoyed it. So I, I, I was stoked, right? Who, who is Tim? All right, but it's it's your unfair, sympathetic. Um, yeah, it's really charming and really it rings starkly, right? You're you're truly passionate and you know behind about you know the words and the aspects you see, and I can't wait to see you know where where you pull and put the community and and Mendix next actually. So thanks so much for you know hanging around with us for quite some time before you go on your well-deserved vacation. Yeah, really appreciate it. I mean, really enjoyed this session. I yeah, talking to you, but also I mean, being in that environment with you together. I think uh, especially post-COVID, I think it's good to connect again, right, personally. Um, so yeah, it was, was, was a real pleasure and thanks for the kind words and, and, and spending the time. Here you go. And folks out there, stay bold, committed and open-minded and we hear us next Siemens AI podcast. Cheers. Mm -hmm.